Hello, baseball fans, and welcome to Sully Baseball Daily, the podcast we talk about baseball 365 days a year, unless it's a leap year, and then we're going to do another one. I've been doing this every single day since October 24th, 2012, and I'm your host, Paul Francis Sullivan. Please call me Sully. I'm recording this at 299 8th Avenue in New York, in Harlem, somewhere across the Macombs Dam Bridge from Yankee Stadium. Now, why am I standing here specifically at 299 8th Avenue? I'm standing in the middle of a large apartment complex, not too dissimilar to what they had at the Ebbets Field Apartments. This one here is similar. It's tall. It's brick. It appears to be made in the 1960s when these sort of projects were popping up all over New York. Robert Moses specials. I've been here before. This is the site of the Polo Grounds. This is where the New York Giants played from 1890 to 1957. I'm standing next to a plaque. This plaque has been here for a while. It's getting a little rusty. I'm going to read the plaque. It says, Polo Grounds, approximate location of home plate, home of the New York Giants National Baseball League, 1890-1957. World Champions 1904, 1905, 1921, 1922, 1933, and 1954. The Giants shared this field with the New York Yankees from 1913 to 1922. The Mets played here 1962 and 1963. So we're on standing was the epicenter of New York baseball for a long time. Listen to what I just said there. From 1890 to 1963, save for a five-year gap between 1958 and 1961, the baseball, whether it was the Giants, the Mets, or the Yankees played on this spot where I'm standing right now. Now, I'm watching right now. People are going from tower to tower. The mother and her daughter just walked past me. And there's a little sort of courtyard area here. Looks like sprinklers go up probably during the summertime. And probably wouldn't happen today on this cold December day. And there's a bunch of empty chairs. And I'm now going to sit on a wall looking at home plate. Now, I have to make one thing clear. There was an earlier version of the Polo Grounds that existed in the uh, the 1860s, I think it was, in New York. This was not always the site of the Polo Grounds, but starting 1890. You know, before 1890, it's tough to even count whatever happened in baseball. But this is where, as I stated in the City Field show where I talked about John McGraw, this is where so much of New York baseball came together. You know, when you think about, I'm looking at home plate, and I'm trying to imagine the direction that the field would go in. I think I'm where it's facing, there's the Polo Grounds Community Center and a bunch of playgrounds here. It's funny how they have all these playgrounds on the sites of both Ebbets Field and of here are the polo grounds. I think this this seems to be, I will just say, you know, no judgment, slightly better condition than Ebbets Field. Certainly the playgrounds and the community center are more up to date. There's a fresher coats of paint on some of the benches and everything like that. 
But this is where Willie Mays made his back-to-the-wall catch. This is where I'm looking out where left field must have been. That's where Bobby Thompson's home run must have landed. The last time I was here was in 2001. It was shortly after September 11th, and I was here because it was the 50th anniversary of Bobby Thompson's home run, the shot heard around the world. And I did a thing for Trio TV that someday I'll dig up and post on sullybaseball.com. But I went here as a pilgrimage for my dad, who couldn't come out here. Not, you know, he, was, he was alive, still is alive today, but he was. not a lot of people were flying back and forth in the months after September 11th, 2001. And I came here to be stand on the spot 50 years to the day. And there were several other guys about my dad's age wearing Giants uniforms, Willie Mays uniforms and everything, who were there for the same reason. And it's funny how baseball loves its history so much, and yet on a site like this, where so much of it took place, there's, besides the plaque there, you know, the evidence for what was going on is not quite as strong. Like, where, where was second base? You know, where was the site of the famous moment when, uh, was it Fred Merkel forgot to touch second base? And the Cubs stepped on on the bag, and it it ended what would have been a pennant clinching game for the Giants, and it forced the Giants out of the World Series that year. You know, this is also where the Yankees won their first few pennants, and this is actually where the Yankees won their first World Series. It was right here. They won it on the road. Christy Mathewson, Ross Youngs. Bill Terry, Mel Ott, Willie Mays, Monty Irvin, Hoyt Wilhelm, Leo DeRocher. This was this was their home field. Right here. In this empty area where they play with sprinklers. You know, I, I if anyone out there knows someone who lives here lives in the Polo Grounds Towers. Just let me know. Just let me know, because I would love to talk to someone about their knowledge of the history here, or whether that affects anyone. You know, I mean, the tower, like, I'm, the tower I was standing at was where the home plate was. That's over on... That's I've now walked about maybe 25 yards away from that. I'm looking over here at building... Uh, 2971-2979 and where these apartments and the people who live here are living roughly, I'm going to guess right field and I just can't help but wonder if someone here is a huge baseball fan if they know the meaning of this place I've made the uh, point before in a previous podcast that Babe Ruth came perilously close to signing with the Giants and that if he had done that and been under John McGraw and been the teammates of Christy Mathewson would, you know, would he have developed into the player he was? Would he still have the greatness? Would he have been the greatness with more discipline? I don't know, but there was a, there was a running sense of bitterness 
in the world of McGraw and to eventually the Yankees, where, I'm not sure if you knew this, but eventually the Red Sox dealt Babe Ruth to the Yankees, that there became a real sense of bitterness towards the Yankees and Babe Ruth from the Giants. And there was a great sense of satisfaction from John McGraw when the Yankees lost, and at one point quite embarrassingly, to the Giants in the first two uh, Subway series between the two teams. And actually, it wasn't even a Subway series. It was an all-polo ground series. The entire World Series was played here. And they just made their way. They had their way with the Yankees along the way. And McGraw said all sorts of things to uh, Ruth, basically saying that, you know, the big monkey couldn't swing, you know, he'd throw breaking balls and he'd fall on his ass and all sorts of stuff like that about him. And, but the Giants were not too happy that the biggest draw in the polo grounds was Ruth. That the biggest draw and the biggest media darling was not the world champion Giants who were winning baseball the right way but was this big palooka hitting 50-some-odd home runs and launching them into right field. And so the Giants wanted the Yankees out of their stadium. And it's so interesting where the Yankees ended up because they ended up right across the river. In fact, I'm walking over here, and I can now, where I'm leaning, I can see Yankee Stadium. Now, it's the new Yankee Stadium, but that is where they went. They went right across the river. We are going to take our big superstar who people are dying to see, and we're just going to go right across the river. And I can't help but think that was a gigantic middle finger. I cannot help but think the Yankees were saying, oh, you don't like the fact that we're packing your house better than you? Then why don't we pack this house that you could see right across the way? And the middle finger worked. The middle finger worked because the... I guess you can say the, the gauntlet was, was passed or it was... It, there, was a, there was an exchange of power between the team that just couldn't stop winning pennants and was the standard bearer of baseball in the city moving across the river. And the fact now that to this day, that spot across the river in the Bronx is considered to be the epicenter of baseball in New York, even though you could make the argument that the Mets have been more successful the last few years, and there have been times that the Mets have captured the imagination and attention of the city for a period of time, it has moved over there, and it never came back here. It never came back here! When you think about the, the Giants went on a wonderful run in the 30s, they, what, they won a World Series and two pennants along the way. But the Yankees won more, and the last two pennants that the Giants won, they lost to the Yankees. They lost to the Yankees in the 1951 World Series. You know, the whole, the glory of the miracle on Coogan's Bluff and the Giants win the pennant and the Bobby Thompson's home run was, was 
cut short by the fact that they lost to the Yankees in the World Series. It was partly helped by the fact that there was a rain out in one game and the Yankees were able to realign their starting rotation the way they wanted to. But it never came back here. It's now a courtyard with sprinklers. I mean, across the way, I mean, they, they yes, they've torn down Yankee Stadium, they've built it across the street, but they had to build it across the street. Because the notion of the Yankees playing somewhere else became abhorrent, especially in the post-Jeter, Rivera, Jotori years. Because there was talk of moving them before that, but it became clear that, no, 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 this is where they have to play. This is where it needs to be. And meanwhile, across the way here are a series of one, two, three, four, maybe five nondescript brick buildings that mark subtly here and casually there the fact that this is where the seat of power was. And they kicked him out across the street. What would have happened if the Yankees stuck around? I don't know. What would have happened if the Yankees didn't bring in Babe Ruth? What would have happened if the Yankee, if the Giants got Babe Ruth? I don't know. I But I have a feeling I wouldn't be standing in an empty courtyard right now as it's lightly snowing. This is where the seat of power was and things changed ever so subtly in 1922 when the Giants were the defending world champs. When the Giants looked like they had the upper hand. At that point in 1922, when the Giants kicked the Yankees out of this spot where I'm standing right now. The Giants were the team of substance. Yeah, the Yankees just fleeced the Red Sox of a bunch of players because the Red Sox had a dumb nitwit owner who were selling off all the players. But if you were wanting to be a baseball fan, you came to the Giants. Because they played real baseball. They can get out Babe Ruth. He's, a, he's just a spectacle. In fact... He's a flash in the pan. And look what happened. I'm now here in the Polo Grounds Towers. Man's walking by with a dog. How are you? No one would be walking past me with a dog. It was a point of style versus substance. Of which the substance was all... On one side was all it was a one-sided argument. The Giants win the World Series, the Giants have John McGraw, the Giants are the team of New York. Don't try to interfere. Get out of here. Take your take your little fat kid from Baltimore and get out and get your shine box. Get your own place to play. And they did. And it goes to show a weird thing. How the tides of history can change so quickly and so definitively and so unexpectedly that what looks like something that is without style without without substance or all flash or you know oh it's just capturing the the imagination of the people now but it's not really what you know it's not pure it's not what's gonna live the test of time I don't know what fandom was like in the 1920s, but I have a feeling that after the 1922 World Series, there was a hell of a lot of smugness coming out from the polo grounds, saying, ah, 
How's your Ruth now? Hey, he, he was terrible in the World Series. We won again. We keep winning. We don't care your your dumb little team. We keep winning. In 1923, the first year the Yankees were kicked out, and they were playing across the river, the Yankees indeed won the World Series against the Giants. But the very next year, the Giants were in the World Series again. Again. All right, you got lucky once. But we're still the team of substance. And then? And, and, and of course, and the other thing to remember, keep in mind, how the balance, because the balance is almost entirely based on the rise of Ruth and what happened. The Giants made the World Series in 1924. The Yankees did not. The Giants wound up losing a classic to the um, Washington Senators. And then, for the first time in the 20s, because there was a New York-based team in every World Series in the 20s, whether it was the Brooklyn in 1920, the all-New York World Series of 21, 22, and 23, and the Giants in the World Series in 24, no New York team was in the World Series in 1925. That was Pittsburgh versus Washington. But that was also when Babe Ruth was starting to fall apart. He was starting to fall apart. Physically, he was starting to fall apart. Personally, he had the, one of the worst years of his career, and it looked like he was done. And in 1925, any appearance of the Yankees and Babe Ruth being a team of substance was, no, it was over. It was done. They won their one series. I hope you're happy with it. It's all coming back here. And it never did. And now it's an apartment complex. The Giants are great again, but they're in San Francisco. And it became a foregone conclusion in the 1950s that one team in New York had to go. It was not a foregone conclusion that it was going to be the Dodgers. The Dodgers were fighting for a sports center that would be built pretty much where the, uh, the Barclay Center is now in Brooklyn. And the Yankees, of course, was rule, were ruling the sky in, across the river in the Bronx. And if the Dodgers had accepted what the city wanted to do, the city wanted to build a ballpark in pretty much where Shea Stadium was built. And the Brooklyn Dodgers would have to move to Queens, but they would stay at least in the greater New York area. But it was a foregone conclusion the Giants were going to leave. They were going to leave at one point for Minneapolis, and ultimately they agreed to move to San Francisco once Los Angeles agreed to move to Los Angeles. Uh, the Dodgers agreed to move to Los Angeles, and they need to have a second National League team on the West Coast. It became a foregone conclusion in the mid 50s that if a team had to go, it was the Giants. 30 years before that, it was a foregone conclusion that the Giants were the team of New York. 30 years. In a 30-year span, it went from unquestionably the place your pal Sully is standing is the epicenter of great baseball in New York to, well, if some team has to go, it's got to be the one in the polo grounds. Fragile history, my friend. Fragile history took the place across the river being a palace of baseball greatness and here being an apartment complex with a couple of plaques. 
Tomorrow I'm going to go across the river and check out Yankee Stadium, which I have not seen the new Yankee Stadium. But for now, go to SullyBaseball.com, like me on Facebook, subscribe on iTunes, SoundCloud, YouTube, Twitter, Stitcher, Instagram, I'm everywhere. The music is by Ted Thacker and Patrick Kaliski. Standing on the spot where my dad used to go to as a kid to see Giants games. And now, well, it's someone's home. This has been the Sully Baseball Daily Podcast from the Polo Grounds. I'm your host, Paul Francis Sullivan. Please call me Sully.